On this episode of Common Mystics, a champion for equality is shot dead at the ballot box in 1883 after white supremacists warn him not to vote. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And today's story comes to you from Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Jennifer. Yes, Jill. This town is something else. It pulled us there. I'll tell you what. It pulled us there. We felt unsafe. We, Jennifer and I... (laughs) <laughs> we're in, outside of the car. We were driving around the city. We were the town. We were getting our impressions. And we stop at the cemetery as we do. You know, we do this all the time. That's what we do. And we get out of the car and there is someone circling the cemetery with like flags on their car. I can't. I don't mm-hmm. even know what the flags were. And mm, I don't either. I felt so unsafe. I just said to Jennifer, get back in the car. Get back in the car. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that Jen was feeling unsafe mm-hmm. until like we were doing this. And I'm like, I felt so unsafe. And then Jen's like, I, I she's like, I can't believe you got out of the car. So <laughs> like that was the energy. We felt like in immediate danger under threat. Uh-huh. Not in the physical sense. Do you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like it was a bad neighborhood or anything. No, we were in a cemetery. no, no. We were, in, we were, we were doing what we do all the time. So right. the fact that we felt like fearful yeah truly fearful in like usually when we feel like a spirit like an ambush like we described in other episodes we can identify Mm -hmm. like that's in spirit but the intensity Mm -hmm. of that moment to get us to flee like that is similar to the threatening feeling we felt in mcgraw right where Mm -hmm. i was like get in the car we're going right now Because we were hearing the bangs in the factory. Right. Also, that sense came up in the Utah episode two in Tooele County. Right. Did you feel like you had to flee in Tooele County? Oh, yes. The gas station. At at the gas station, I did. I had some of that. So it it was pretty clear to us that something didn't want us there. Like, and not just one spirit, the entire town didn't want us it's there. It's a true statement. Like the energy of it, not the people the of The people of in Hazelhurst. modern day Hazelworth, I'm sure is lovely. I do. Hazelhurst. Hazelhurst, I'm sure you are all very lovely. We did not get to meet you all, but I do have a bone <laughs> to pick with the McDonald's. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So what else were you feeling as we were going through the town? I don't know how to explain it other than saying... A sense of hypocrisy. Absolutely. It felt like disingenuous self-righteousness, almost like blowhards. Right. As we were driving through the town, what was coming into my vision with clarity were depressed homes and mansions on the same street. It was that disparity that hit me over the head energetically. Absolutely. That sort of spiritual message of caste system inequality yes that sort of thing was very palpable that feeling you would see a grand old antebellum mansion and then like right next to it a unkept ranch house from like Mm -hmm. the 60s but also it was like a psychic energy that was coming through too it wasn't just we were looking at these different structures in the town it's that those structures were trying to tell us something right it's similar to the way you read well the way I read tarot cards is that I use the cards and whenever the card whatever when I'm looking at a card is hitting me in the face like drawing my attention to it yes it's the same way we we were tuning in that spirit. Yes. Mm-hmm. We were tuning that in spirit. to Hazelhurst 
we were taken by the structures and the discrepancy between them. What else? You had said a couple things, and you have to tell me if these were quotes that you heard in your head or if these were just things that you felt compelled to say. But you said you had a feeling of good old boys and also, who are you to question us? Tell me about those those quotes. So good old boys was, like I said, that feeling of this false sense of righteous indignation, like that masculine flexing. Okay. Like boys club. Yes. Like I'm going to do this because I believe that I'm right and I got my my people with me and I'm not a sociologist, but it felt like you get power and bravery from a group that you otherwise wouldn't have, which can be a really powerful thing if used for good. But this felt like it was disingenuous, like what they were doing. I personally wouldn't subscribe to like checking the good box, right? And then when I was- Who are you to question us? So then, so I was digesting that energy, right? That good old boy, that- toxic masculinity and what i heard at that point was who are you to question us oh i'm getting the chills right now i it made me feel small yeah it made me feel small it made me feel naive and for me i heard in my (laughs) my mind's ear for lack of a better (laughs) term i heard something happened here they'd rather not talk about Yikes. Yeah. And that actually turned out to be very, very true, as your research would prove, Jill. Well, tell me a little bit about Hazelhurst, Mississippi. Hazelhurst is the county seat for Copiah County, Mississippi. I don't know if I'm saying Copiah right, so I apologize if I'm not. Listeners, let us know. They will. Yeah. And our story, Jill, takes place in 1883, just after the Reconstruction period ended in the United States. Okay, now I heard a lot about the Reconstruction period, but not in detail. It's kind of like a blip in the history book. Can you tell me a little bit about Reconstruction and what that meant in American history? It is fascinating. Tell me why. Reconstruction was the period of U.S. history that occurred after the American Civil War. And obviously, slavery was a major issue surrounding that conflict, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. After the northern states won the war and slavery was abolished. That's what we do. The nation faced the difficulty of putting the country back together again. And the purpose of Reconstruction was to redress the inequities of slavery and to solve the problems of readmitting to the Union the 11 states that had seceded during the Civil War period. You know what? They were feeling salty. They thought that they were going to they were going to win. It must have been contentious. Well, it's more than that, because if you consider, Jill, that there were thousands of people previously enslaved that were now free and now were challenged to integrate into this racist society that had kept them in bondage? Like, what does that look like? How is that going to end? Do you know what I'm saying? This is a major problem, if you think about it for a second. No, for sure. Especially because some Southern people did not look at African-American or enslaved people as people at all. So to have that conflicting two thoughts in your head at the same time. No, this is complicated. 
But they're still salty because the Yankees won. Of course they're salty. But you can see why the federal government is taking control here. Right. Mm -hmm. You can kind of you can kind of see like, all right, everybody, let's figure out how this is going to look. So the first phase of reconstruction and there are two phases. The first phase is the presidential phase when the president takes control. And then the second phase is the congressional phase when Congress takes control. So let's talk about the first phase. 1865. Lincoln has been assassinated. I know. I almost started crying just saying that. Lincoln has been assassinated. And Andrew Johnson is now the president of the United States. Now, this was a time in American history where the national ticket was the opposite party. So you have the Republican as the president and his running mate is a Democratic vice president. Whereas today, it's not like that. Andrew Johnson was from Tennessee. He was a senator during the Civil War. And he was the only senator from a Confederate state who did not resign when his state seceded from the Union. Mm -mm -mm. Like all the other senators from southern states, when their state seceded, they were like, yeah, I'm out. I'm going to join the Confederacy. I'm not going to support the United States. But Andrew Johnson didn't. I don't know how I feel about that. It seems calculating. (laughs) You are going to hate him. And let me tell you why. He began, like I said, the first period of Reconstruction, and his policies were very sympathetic to the South. Mm. For example, Johnson offered pardon to all Southern whites. He pardoned them all, except for Confederate leaders and wealthy planters, who, by the way, would get individual pardons. Okay, basically, they were all pardoned. Johnson restored the political rights of the Southern whites. So he restored them to their political positions and he returned all their property, of course, except for any slaves, obviously, because now slavery is abolished. And so he, in effect, allowed the southern governments a whole lot of latitude in managing their own affairs. Mm -hmm. And this caused some real problems that a lot of people disagreed with. (sighs) Should I keep going? Well, I'm just digesting. I'm just digesting. How are you feeling? Are you okay? <laughs> I, <laughs> are you all right? You know, I can see you're emotionally kind of affected. I am emotionally affected because I it, the reverberations of this is still like I just it, it's a direct line to current events. And I just well, wait till you see wait till you see what happens next. But honestly, so Johnson, Johnson, honestly, what? he did have he did give reparations to uh, slave owners that lost their slaves. He paid for them to be released, basically. So I mean, that makes sense. He returned all their property. He restored them to politi- the, their political rights. So basically, the slave owners are still in charge, basically, with all of their property, except for the slaves, and all of their rights and power. They are restored with all their property, all their rights, all their power, Right. It feels like Johnson doing this diminished what the victory of the North did for the country. Right. Funny you should say that because the southern states responded by enacting what came to be called the Black Codes, which were laws that in many ways just replicated slavery. For instance, we're talking about Mississippi. So in November 1865, Mississippi passed what is called the act to confer civil rights on freedmen. 
What? Which that sounds pretty darn good, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound good? All right, let's confer civil rights on the freedmen. But it was really a misleading title because according to those codes, African-Americans couldn't be idle, couldn't be disorderly. They couldn't use, quote unquote, insulting gestures. They couldn't own guns. They couldn't preach the gospel without a special license. And children under the age of 18, Jill, were forced to work as, quote unquote, apprentices on white plantations, usually their former masters, until they were 18 years old. And this is, let me just tell you one more thing, because this is blatant AF. The state penal codes under slavery, they really just kept them all in place and exchanged the word slave for freedman. So it's like taking your bullshit laws and just like doing a control, find, and replace. Let's just replace all the words slave with freedmen, but keep all of the brutal penal codes in place for these people. So that's super cheeky. And this is what happened right under Andrew Johnson during the first part of Reconstruction. So they're like, free people can't behave in this way with insulting gestures. But if they determine what an insulting gesture was, they had the right Right. to to imprison them. And then again, they would be essentially enslaved again. Exactly. So obviously, a lot of people, a lot of Republicans had a really hard time with Andrew Johnson's approach to Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Congress did not agree with this lenient approach. And Republican congressmen from places like Pennsylvania and Massachusetts called for an establishment of new Southern governments, not the same Southern governments that were in place before the war, new Southern governments that were based on equality before the law and voting rights for whites as well as freed men. So, so far, it seems like we're still pretty much divided. Oh, my gosh. Yes, we're divided. And so Congress basically passes laws that are more radical. The Freedmen's Bureau and the Civil Rights Bills. The Freedmen's Bureau oversaw the transition from slavery to freedom in the southern states. And the Civil Rights Bills give all persons born in the United States as national citizens equality before the law. Now, Johnson vetoes these bills. Oh, you dick. I know, right? He vetoes these bills. He's like, nope, nope, too much, too much. You're putting, you're micromanaging here. And Congress is like, screw you, Johnson. And Congress uh, overrides his veto. Yes. And this becomes the first significant legislation in American history to become law over a president's veto. Very pivotal here. Very. So good for Congress. So this Republican Congress begins Reconstruction all over again. Reconstruction, take two. (laughs) Exactly. The Reconstruction Acts of 1867 now are brand new. They start all over and they divide the South into five military districts. Mm. This is interesting because it's like the North is occupying the South. Yes. As the victors. Yes, as the victors. Yes. But I had never thought about it in this way. The North actually occupied the South in the same way the United States would occupy Germany after World War II. Yes. 
Well, I feel like they had to because even right after the war, right after this victory, they were implementing and giving back power to people that clearly were not willing to comply with the new federal rules. Well, the new federal rules were super lenient. Mm-hmm. And gave them a lot of latitude. So now Congress is like, nah, uh, uh, we see what you did. When you said Johnson was pretty cool for staying with the country, that leads me back to why I personally don't know if that was pretty cool. That could have just been a savvy political move because he knew the South was going to lose and he wanted to be in place to be the president. Uh, arguable, but let's move on. Mm. Not only did they occupy the South, but also this second phase of Reconstruction outlined exactly how the Southern governments were to be established based on voting rights for all men, black and white. Okay, so now they're like, you don't get to set up your own government because look what you did. Look what you did. Now we have to set it up for you. Okay, I like where this is headed. Do you? Okay. I, li- I like that the Congress is like, okay, we have people in your, we have five military divisions. We have people in your area. We're going to make sure that everyone is Everyone's getting the right vote. to vote. This yeah. is good. I like this. I like this. Okay. So by 1870, just like three years later, all the former Confederate states have been readmitted into the Union. And they're all set up with Republicans in power. The Republican platform is about the same political rights and opportunities for both whites and freedmen who would be African-American, right? Yes. So that's the Republican platform. So in the South now, Congress, you know, has put these safeguards in place and there's military there. And now the states are run by Republicans and they basically make up three different groups of Republicans in the South. Tell me. So you have the carpetbaggers. <laughs> I know. Do you remember that part from Gone with the Winds? Carpetbaggers? I do not, but it's a very funny name for a lot of different reasons. OK, go on. The carpetbaggers were Northerners who came down to kind of take advantage of the situation Mm -hmm. in the South. So they were really looked down upon on the Southerners because here comes these Northerners coming in, Mm -hmm. taking advantage of the situation. So they were um, recent arrivals from the North. Some were teachers or businessmen or Union soldiers, but those were the carpetbaggers. The scalawags were from the South. I remember the scalawags from (laughs) from Mason's episode. Scalawag is in this context means a southern born white Republican who remained loyal during to remained loyal to the Union during the Civil War. Thank you for your service, Scalawag. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen we've seen in some of our other stories that you and I have learned that it wasn't all black and white. And you had a lot of brothers and neighbors who disagreed, even in the southern states. So the Scalawags were the southern born white Republicans who were loyal. And some of them were businessmen and planters. Most were non-slaveholding small farmers. And then, of course, you have the African-Americans, and they formed the overwhelming majority of the Southern Republican voters. Can you even imagine the opportunities, the hope that you would be experiencing? You'd be like, oh, my God, this is happening. Some had been free before the Civil War. Some were recently free with the end of the Civil War. Some were Civil War veterans. And, of course, black political leadership pressed for the elimination of that racial caste system. 
system that slavery made a, re- a reality and uplifting economically former slaves to help them get on their feet and make a life for themselves. That's amazing. And not only that, here, Jill, we see that African-Americans are gaining political power. We have 16 African-Americans serving in Congress. We have 600 in state legislatures, hundreds more in local offices from sheriff to justice of the peace across the South. This is major. This is like the promise of America. This was the promise of America that all men were created equal and given the opportunity to start on an even ground. But here's where the other shoe drops. Is that the expression? Uh, I don't. The shit hitting the fan. (laughs) How about that? As you can imagine, Jill... In the South, the white Democrats who were not about racial equality, um, this really pissed them off. And this would lead to a dramatic break with the South's traditions and arouse bitter hostility from Reconstruction's opponents. It just, it when you said that, my, the whole vibe for me changed. I'm just feeling the vitriol. Uh-huh. The anger... Think about why, though, the anger that other people, that your power has been stripped from you because now instead of you being a part of a system that favored you and your kind, right, now you're a part of the system that took that power away from you and you are just on an equal playing field. Think about that. That's insane. Okay, go on. So Reconstruction governments established in the South public schools bargaining power for plantation laborers, more equitable taxation, and outlawed racial discrimination in public transportation and accommodations. That is huge. That is huge. This is 100 years, 100 years before Rosa Parks. I know. And the South during this period has has outlawed racial discriminations in public transportation. This is insane. It seems like this fight of the civil rights 60s was already won, right? Right. And here comes the backlash. Okay, so there's violent opposition to these measures. I want to stress the word violent. White supremacists organize and commit terrorist acts that targeted local Republican leaders and beat them and assassinated them many times. African-Americans who asserted their rights and others seeking to assist former slaves were also targets. At the time in Mississippi, the period that you're talking about, Democrats were trying to reassert control over the state from the Republicans. So the people in power, both black and white, who gained power during the the second half of the Reconstruction, they were literally targeting them. And it was called the redemption period in Mississippi. Oh, that's chilling. That is chilling. Again, you know what the, the use of language. Yeah. So here we see things start to change because remember in 1867 when Congress was all like taking a radical stance towards these measures during the second period of the Reconstruction. Well, now in the 1870s, that fervor is starting to wane. Oh, my God. Because there was a lot of corruption with the reconstruction and there was a lot of social and political instability that was happening because of it 
Right. Mm. And so some of those northerners who was who are all gung ho 10 years ago are now like, all right, this is causing a lot of problems. There's a lot of corruption. Let's go back to our business and stop some of this nonsense. So a series of Supreme Court decisions starts to limit the scope of reconstruction laws and the white supremacists, the Democratic leaders begin to take back their local governments. So now the pendulum is swinging. And Jill, by 1877, the southern states were all back under Democratic control. Federal troops had been pulled out of the South and Reconstruction is over. And God help the African-Americans in the South. I just want to say this. We keep saying in the South, in the South. But I just want to say big picture. Even in 1966, Martin Luther King led a march through the streets of Chicago to bring light to the disparity and the vitriol in Chicago of the time over where black people, African-American people could live. So we keep saying that this is a Southern problem because that's where our story today is focused on. But this is really an American problem that has reverberated throughout the centuries in different areas of the country. That's a really good point. I'm focusing on Mississippi because I know, that's where I know, our story was. I know, was. but I just want to just shout that out there because it's important just to it like is. big picture. We are focusing in on this area because that's where we were driving through. But yeah, big picture. So the Southern white Democrats develop a new racial system Jesus. after Reconstruction. Such an emotional roller coaster. We're free. We're not. We're free. We're not. I know, right? And it was based on the disenfranchisement of black voters, Jesus. racial segregation, and relegation of African-Americans to low-wage agricultural and domestic employment, and violence, legal violence, and extra-legal violence to punish those who challenged this new order. Now, I will say this. It wasn't the same everywhere. It wasn't the same everywhere because all southern states were not the same. In the quote-unquote upper south, like Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia, African-Americans were a minority. Mm-hmm. There, there weren't that many of them. That's not where the huge plantations were during you know, the antebellum period. So the, the whites were, there were more politically moderate because it wasn't that fear of the mass. Yes. Yeah, like, right? Yes. But in the deep south, in the deep south where Mississippi, Louisiana are, African-Americans were now a majority of the population. And also, by the way, the the white leaders here seceded before hostilities erupted. In other words, before the Civil War, they were the ones to be like, we're out, you know, in the deep south. So arguably they caused the war. So they were much more divisive, much more politically radical. So it wasn't the same across the South. What was happening specifically in Hazelhurst at the time? What was happening in Hazelhurst at the time? (laughs) There was an independent party, right? And it was headed by a man named Print Matthews. He organized the party consisting of African-Americans and white farmers together. They had a strong following and some political clout in the area. Can you tell me a little bit about Mr. Print Matthews? John Prentice, or Print Matthews, was born in Copiah County in 1840, near Hazelhurst, Mississippi. He would be considered a scalawag because he was a white Southerner with Republican values. I like that. Surprisingly, Print Matthews' parents were wealthy and owned 35 slaves before the end of the Civil War. That is surprisingly, because he's basically going out uh, against his own interests. 
as and, and against his own family. But Matthews always supported the union. I like him. I know. I like him, too. Now, after the war, Matthews thrived as a store owner, and he also became the county sheriff. Good for you. And during that period, when the Democrats regained power of the Mississippi state government in 1875, that's when Matthews organized the local independent party in Copiah County, which, of course, like you had said, consisted of African-Americans and white farmers. Got it. However, in 1881, Democrats began night raiding to intimidate African-Americans and attempt to suppress their voting. In 1881, Matthews lost his bid for re-election by 84 votes, but it was totally a farce. The Democrats claimed that a mule had reached through a window and eaten all of the ballots that were casted by African-Americans to support Matthews. In 1883, the night rides grew worse. An African-American church was burned. A husband and wife were murdered. Jesus the, the writers were ordering voters not to vote for the independent party in the 1883 elections. This is insane, Jill. I got to tell you, I found a book online that you can read free via Google Books. It's called Lies Across America, What Our Historical Sites Got Wrong by James W. Lowen. L-O-E-W-E-N, starting on page 230, talks about the end of the Reconstruction, specifically in Mississippi, Hazelhurst. And this book outlines in details some of the night rides and what that looked like. Oh, no. Horses trotting, not only towards a house, but through a house. What? You mentioned a married couple dying. There was a married couple and a child in their bed and they just shot the man. The woman screamed and tried to protect her baby, and they shot her. Oh, my God. Then they went to a different home of a gentleman, and they were calling him out of the house at night. And he said, well, I heard what you had done to the family down the way. He's like, I'm not coming out. And this this mob is saying, well we want to talk to you about voting. And the guy said, you don't have to talk to me about voting. I won't be doing it. And he did not spend the night in his house again. He was staying in the fields. And those are just two examples of the, just the, I, you know, you can say intimidation, but this isn't intimidation. This is like threat. Murder. Yeah, this threat is, of murder. I mean, this is, this is serious to contemplate being those people and to hearing the horses come at you. Oh my God. It just seems it just seems horrible. So that was happening. And it really increased, like you said, before the election of 1883. I read that the the very night before the election, supporters of the independent party actually slept in the woods. So they didn't even it's sleep true. at home. They slept in the woods because they were afraid of people coming into their houses and murdering them. They were sitting ducks. Oh my God. They were sitting ducks in their own beds. Unbelievable. I can't even imagine the terror. And think about this. Think about where's the law? Where's the law at this time? Because of that struggle imbalance, some of these people that were part of these mobs were prominent people in the community. So who are you going to call? Who would, yeah, who would protect you? Can't you can't call the police, right? Pretty much they may be out there with... with with torches. Oh, my God. So how does this relate to Mr. Matthews? 
Prince Matthews was one of the leaders of this party. So he, of course, oh, would have been a, a prime target for these night Riders. The white Democratic leaders of Hazelhurst delivered a written ultimatum to Matthews and ordered him not to vote. He ignored that warning. And when he went to the ballot box, a white farmer and doctor named Erastus Raz Wheeler reached inside a wooden box for a double-barreled shotgun and shot Matthews in the face. And Matthews died at the polls in Hazelhurst. Okay, I have so much to tell you. Please. So this was a big deal, this running amok and voter intimidation during the time, so much so that it was addressed by the United States Congress. So there were congressional hearings about what was happening as far as the night raids and the murder of Print Matthews. And as part of those congressional hearings, Print Matthews' daughters had testified. Mm. So... Mary, the oldest daughter, was at home the Monday before the election. And at that time, her younger sister, Jessie, was very ill. So Prince's sister came into town, Aunt Becky, to help take care of Jessie. And there was a physician at the house. So everyone was really just focused on getting Jessie better. No one really knew what was happening with her, but she was bedridden. And everyone was there on that Monday. And then all of a sudden, during midday, this mob of 90 men came and burst into town by way of the railroad. So I don't know if they rode along the railroad, but they were on horses and they were shooting guns, just running down the streets and they were going towards Matthew's home. Uh And the women and the doctor were startled by the noise as it was getting closer. So they went out on the porch to see what was going on. And the, these, this mob of people were approaching and the man, the doctor at the time, the, the physician on site to help Jesse was like, Hey, you guys, this girl is really sick. We're not sure if she's going to make it. You need to get out of here. And Matthews, Print Matthews was in the house. And I think he was slow to coming outside because he knew what it was. Mm. Everyone else ran outside because they were shocked by the noise. But it felt like he was expecting Mm -hmm. it. And he stood on the porch and he's like, y'all need to get out of here. Well, that mob ascended on the courthouse and was stationed at the courthouse in town. And they sent a written message back to the house with one writer. And Print was still on his front porch. And the writer handed him the message and he opened it up and it said, do not vote on Wednesday. Mm-mm. And Print read it, closed the note back up and handed it to the guy. And he goes, I have the right to vote. I am going to exercise that right to vote unless you folks murder me beforehand. That was the response to the written message. So the, the writer rode out back to the courthouse with his gang. Then all day on Tuesday, they're riding around town, like flexing, letting them know, like, we're serious, bro. We're serious. And print one about his business. Mary, this whole time was observing this and she was so scared. So, 
you know, Jesse, little Jesse's sick in bed and she says, Aunt Becky, they're going to kill Pa. And Aunt Becky's like, no, baby, they're not. It's going to be fine. Mary's walking around the house on Wednesday. Now it's it's election day and she's trying to keep her eye on her dad because she's like, dad, please do not do this. She's like, come on, please. And, you know, he didn't even respond to her, but she goes up to her mom sometime during midday and she's like, mom, I don't know where dad is and I'm afraid he went to go vote. And Mrs. Matthew said, I reckon you're right. And so Mary is walking out to the front porch and she hears gunfire And she knew immediately that was her dad's life being taken. She ran back into the house and said, Mom, they're shooting. I think they killed Dad. And then she ran as fast as she could to the voting booth to where they were casting ballots. And the door was locked and there was a crowd of men around her. And one of the guys grabs her at the waist as she's running towards the door. And he said, get out of here. It was Mr. Cox. I don't know who he is. But he was like, you need to get out of here. This has nothing to do with you. And she's like, I'll be goddamn. That's my father in there. And I know that you guys just killed him. And she gets to the door and she's trying to rattle it. And they're like, you need to get out of here. Da, 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 da. And she's like, I will not. And then her uncle Leon came to the building as as they were trying to get Mary away from the door and he was able to break the door down as they were messing around with Mary. And when Mary rushed into the room after the door was open, she saw her dad laying on the floor shot in the face with Raz standing behind him. Wow. Other people that gave testimony at the congressional hearing said that Print walked in to the room mm-hmm. where the ballots were being casted and there was two men One was a a county official, and then there was Raz. And Raz and Print got along well. He was one of Print's customers at the store. store. Yeah. And they had some words, silent words together. They whispered back and forth. And Raz said, I wish you wouldn't do this. And he just asked for his ballot. And as the county official said, why don't you go ahead and fold that before handing it back to me? That's when Raz shot him. So he was folding his ballot in his hand. Mm. It's just terrible, terrible, tragic. But the bravery of that man, mm-hmm. I mean, through days and days of knowing like they're going to kill you mm-hmm. is just unbelievable. After the killing, you get the sense that it was a free for all. Tensions were high on both sides and the governor sent reinforcements to the county to maintain control. And the senator, Senator Hoar, H-O-A-R, Hoar, called for an investigation, and several prominent citizens were called to testify. There was testimony that a relative of Matthew's wrote a note to him warning him that he thought it would be best if he didn't show up to the election because of the tension that he had caused among citizens. But there are a lot of other men who suggested that Matthews was a violent man himself and that Matthews had vowed that he and the other Democrats in the county would elect a new Democratic board in the next election and would raise a mob if he had to. Matthews was no stranger to violence, apparently, and many felt that he meant what he had said. What do you think about claims that Matthews was violent? This is some bullshit. Why do you say that? I agree with you. I want to hear your, your take on it. This is Raz's trial, right. right? So we have we have the senator looking into it. Raz goes on trial for murdering this man for casting a vote. And they're like, well, I felt like I was feeling unsafe at the time. And it's like, no, right. you weren't. 
You were right about Raz. He himself claimed self-defense. He said that Matthews had a gun on him and he was able to pull his gun first and kill Matthews before he killed him. That that was his his defense. There was a mob shooting off guns for two days. You think little like if he were really going to engage in gunfire over this election, he had, according to Mary, a stash of guns inside his house and he gave instructions to his people that were part of their party if anything happens to me get the guns and go to the woods your point is if he wanted to kill raz he could have he could he had the means yes he had the means and he had his own posses he had his own people that if they were looking for an armed conflict then they would it would have been all out war in the streets but that's not what happened there was another interesting testimony that came out of the trial of raz wheeler and that was a testimony of jt dameron who was a merchant he said that raz wheeler talked about old whore. Remember that senator who led up the investigation? And he basically threatened whore, the leader of the investigation, by saying, old whore is coming down here on an investigation committee. If I get a crack at him, I will kill him too. He went further to say that he killed Pritt Matthews or rather it was the Democratic Party that did. If it had not been for politics, he wouldn't have done it. But it was with politics is why he did it. Right. So he was saying like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did it. But I had to do it because of politics. Unbelievable. But he's also admitting that he is pretty much threatening the senator who's in charge of this investigation. So how can this how can this investigation be legit? I am so sorry that that senator's name was whore, because when you're saying old whore, there are so many things going through my mind. I was like, I can't say it. You can't say say that. You can't. I know. You can't threaten old whore. You can't threaten old whore. (laughs) Old whore will threaten you. Do you speak from experience? (laughs) It does seem like this is not a legit proceeding, right? Well, wait till you find out what happens. Tell me everything. The jury was all white. And quote unquote, carefully chosen. And it quickly returned a verdict of not guilty. Raz Wheeler was found not guilty, much to the pleasure and expectation of the judge and the entire community. And the jury posted a statement noting, quote, if an error occurred, it was one of the head and not of the heart. What does that mean? They're basically saying, yeah, we know this isn't right. Wait, I don't even understand. If if an error in their judgment, in their decision yes. happened, it was of the it head, was of the head and not, not the, of oh, the heart. Oh, so they're, they're saying he shouldn't have right. died. But but I need to say that he should have because <laughs> otherwise I'm going to get shot in the exactly. head. Exactly. Like my heart says one thing, but reason says I'm going to die if I don't vote this way. Exactly. So we would have been intimidated too, people. So you said that Raz enjoyed a successful political career after he is a murderer. Is that, did I get that right? <laughs> I didn't say that yet. I thought you did. No, okay. the murder trial was a statewide sensation. And part of that was because Wheeler, Raz Wheeler, while he was awaiting trial, ran for office Jesus. and was appointed the marshal. This is insane. He was appointed to political office while he's awaiting trial for the murder of Prince Matthews. 
And yes, he goes on to have a long, successful political career in the state of Mississippi. He was successful in politics. He was a murderer, not just of Print Matthews, but during all those raids leading up for years to this election, to this pivotal point. The man was a murderer and he was celebrated because of it. It hurts me. It really hurts me. One of the outcomes was that it would be 80 years before African-Americans voted in any meaningful numbers at all in Copiah County again. Okay, um, I'm going out on a limb and saying print is definitely our voiceless. Ah, okay. I agree. It is insulting a man of such moral and integrity to be like, I felt threatened by him. Like, did you, did you, after you were like, because he wasn't intimidated by you, because you were riding around his house with guns for friggin' two days. And that's just in regards to this election. Yeah. So what hits led us to this story? Obviously, we were led to Hazelhurst. That place is energetically charged. We felt it right away. The hypocrisy, the social structure, the caste system that all speaks Mm -hmm. to not only slavery, but Reconstruction and the aftermath of Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Righteous indignation. What we didn't mention is we were really drawn to the Baptist churches. And that was part of that whole polite church going society, but also were murderers, too. Yeah. Mm hmm. Absolutely. That feeling of the good old boys. Jennifer, I think the hypocrisy and the church feeling of society go hand in hand. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. The fear, the good old boys. You know what that reminds me of? When we were in the cemetery, when that car was going back and forth with the the flags. flags, that reminds me of the way that Wheeler and his mob were behaving in the town Mm -hmm. days before the election. Right. Metaphorically waving their flags. Yes. Yes. If not literally. The good old boys to me also feels like those white supremacist groups. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Who are you to question us? (laughs) Can I be serious? I actually believe that was a very threatening message from spirit. I agree. To be honest with you, because that was an audible Situation, And I think that they were like, these two white girls Mm -hmm. from the Midwest are down here feeling out the vibes of this town. Who are you to question us? And then that idea that something happened here that they'd rather not talk about. I'm sure that they didn't want to talk about it during the congressional hearings when they were looking at not voter fraud, but voter intimidation and limiting access to the the ballot boxes. There's so many levels of wrong. It's hard to unpack it. And it hurts. It hurts to unpack it because you have fear and you have evil born out of fear. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to Mm -hmm. face and so why are we giving Print Matthews a voice, Jill? What, what do you think he wants to say to people who are listening? What do you think he wants to say to us? Well, I first want to say that I feel like Print Matthews is saying that this still happened after his death, that not only did Raz get a successful career, his friends get a successful career, Print's own son had moved out of town and worked as a printer, ironically enough, and was shot dead 
for printing papers about equality and what it means to have equality in society. Wow. And so on Christmas Day, years later, his son was brought back to Hazelhurst to be buried because he was murdered by a mob similar to his father. Wow. So I feel like this story is so shocking, but it happens again and again and again. If you think of in the 60s, you had the three volunteers that were signing up people to vote in the South. They were found dead in a field. Like this is something that just is a part of American history that is not isolated. Well, it's part of the American present too. I mean, I do think that it that this echoes in the shadow of the January 6th hearings. I mean, that kind of seems political violence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So some of these messages seem to be relevant today, unfortunately. But the good news is, I think, because of people like Print Matthews, because of those people who took a stand, who continue to take a stand in the face of hate and evil and however it manifests. Yes. To take a stand and move us forward towards equality and true love for for our neighbors and and for each other. When I try to think about Print Matthews, I cannot even summon an ounce of the bravery that he had shown. That is the truth. And I love his picture. You're going to post his picture, right? I know. I'll post his picture and I'll post Raz's picture. Oh my God, he's the cutest. (laughs) Oh, bug just busted into my room. All right. Tell the people where they can find us. Well, check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Common Mystics Podcast. Listen in wherever you're listening to your favorite pods. But if you happen to be on Apple, please leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Bye.